0: Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Um, But today I want to speak to you uh, for just a few minutes uh, around this idea of breaking bad thinking. Breaking bad thinking. Now, the the theme verse for this series is this. If you're taking notes, you might want to just jot this down for the series. It's Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 21. It says, don't be overcome by evil. But rather overcome evil with good. So a lot of times we think about breaking a bad habit. We think about trying really, really hard to break something off. But but I would I would propose we don't want to just try really hard to break something off. We want to pursue something entirely different altogether. And and in other words, instead of trying to break something off of your life, something bad. How about we just overwhelm that with something good, um, something God. And so, uh, so I always tell people when they're wrestling with sin, I always encourage them. I said, "Listen, uh, don't try just to break the habit of sin, or just don't try to avoid sin. But instead, pursue Christ. And as you're pursuing Christ, it's going to be a whole lot harder to indulge in that sin. It's about overcoming evil with good. So we're going to talk about breaking bad thinking. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? We thank you for. These next few moments, God, that you've given us, I pray that every word from my mouth would communicate clearly your heart, Lord, that you would help me to rightly divide the word of truth. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would meet each of us where we're at today, God. We have not come here to play church. Uh, We're serious. Um, And we pray for all of those who um, are indulging in the Raider game and uh, just ask that you would repay them accordingly, God. Um, We love you so much. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. 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 We will not be a church that's defined by football season. I just, we just will not be a church. But I I, want to take you back. I want to take you back in my childhood. Matter of fact, let me, let me show you a quick picture of me back in the day. I don't know what's in the red cup. You could, you could guess, you could think about some things, but um, I want to point out the FUBU gear. FUBU gear back in the day was the jam. But, but I want to take you back because I remember growing up, my mom would always encourage me that I can do anything. Like, I just had a really encouraging mom. If you guys know my mom, you know that she's, like, super loving, super encouraging. But, but my mom is supposed to say that stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, mom, you're my mom, so of course you're going to tell me I can do everything, reach for the stars, right? You're supposed to say that you're my mom. But, but the, the circle of friends that I chose to hang around, they had a different opinion about what was possible. i never forget, we're sitting around one day, and somebody was talking about being a lawyer. And, and I remember one of my buddies speaking up and said, man, what are you talking about? A lawyer. Like, come on, man, look at us. All right? Like, like look at us. That, that, that's what he said. Look at us. Like, all that stuff is a pipe dream. Doctor, lawyer, like, that's... That's not even a possibility for us. We, we get this, meaning this little street life. This is, this is what belongs to us. Everything else is just a pipe dream. And what's crazy enough is I actually bought in to that lie. I, I grew up just believing that I, there's no possible way that I could do any of those things. I just accepted the fact that this was going to be my lot in life. I was just going to be this kid that ran the streets and, and just made it work that way. And I'll never forget, because I actually got some good grades, believe it or not, in school. Even though I was the thug kid, kind of running the streets and doing my thing, I still managed to keep good grades, except when I, uh, my last few years of high school, I got independent studies, and then I actually paid somebody to do my work. Sorry, Mom. Um, And, uh, but nevertheless, I ended up getting a scholarship to Heald College. You guys remember Heald College? And uh, Heald, it was like the School of Technology. And first of all, I was blown away, like, I got a scholarship? Are you serious? And, uh, and so, so I remember I, I got the scholarship, and I thought, wow, I, I never thought that was possible. And so I remember showing up on my first day to Hill College in Hayward, right by Southland Mall. It's, it's where the, the, the complex was. And I remember sitting down, and I, I sat down in my seat, and I looked around, and those thoughts came back. You don't belong here, man. You're not smart enough to be like This is computer science. Like, look, at you look nothing like these people. And in my mind, my friends would always say, those things are for squares. Like, squares was like the goody two-shoes, right? We're not squares. And I was looking around, I'm like, "I I don't belong here. And I never went back. Blew the whole thing. Never went. One day, looked around, and those thoughts came back to my mind. Now, fast forward. A lot of time, space, and events take place, and God gets a hold of my heart. And life changes. And I remember I'm sitting, I'm reading through the scriptures. I just developed a huge hunger for God's word. I hated to read, but I loved God and I wanted to draw draw closer to him. So I just, I was inhaling every book about him. I was diving into the Bible like I'd never had in my life. And I remember sitting one time and I was reading things like all things are possible to him who believes. I remember thinking like with God, all things are possible. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And, And I had this revelation that like I could could do something with my life. Right? I, it was like the, the light bulb went off that anything that I wanted to do all of a sudden was possible. And so I got a legitimate job with Home Depot. It was my first job. Got a legitimate job with Home Depot. And, and I'll, I'll never forget, they paid very little at the time and they worked you like a dog, right? <laughs> but I learned my, I got my, worth ethic, my work ethic there because back in those days, you could work an eight hour shift, go sleep for two and come back for eight. And they would just work us like that. And I just learned how to work really, really hard. And during the time I was working, one of the guys who was one of the, the vendors or the account managers that would come and service our store, he noticed me. And he says, man, I, I, I think you could do something else. Like I, I want to get you into account management. And so would you be interested in that opportunity? So I said, yeah, absolutely. And so my brother schooled me to business a little bit. And I had to change my years to yeses. And uh, I had to change my, my language a little bit. And, and all of a sudden, something started to break. I, I got involved. I became a marketing account sales manager for a company called Spectrum Brands that serviced Home Depots, Lowe's, and all these other places. And I fastly became the, the number one uh, in, in the Pacific Northwest and was having the time of my life and, and thought, man, I, like, I'm actually doing This is legit, and I'm doing good. And then I knew that I had a call to go into ministry. I was still uh, serving in the church at that time. I, I was youth pastor. Now, come on, I was youth pastor and still had a full time job, so no complaining, right? And, uh, and and I remember that God had called me then to go into full time ministry, and it was going to be a huge pay cut. But I knew I was called. But I thought, man, you, like, you want to hire me to teach the Bible? Like you want me to teach? Are you serious? So I made the jump, and, and then I became the youth pastor. I was junior high youth pastor. Then I took over junior high and high school, and then, then from there, every youth pastor needs a side hustle. Are you with me? And so I thought, well, what am I going to do for extra money on the side because I'm about to have a family and i about to get married. So I thought, I'm going to be an armored truck driver. That's what I'm going to do on the side. So I went and got my gun permit, and, and next thing you know, I'm, I'm in the Fed in San Francisco where all the money transpires through, and this ex-criminal is looking around like... What in the, where am I at? I got a gun at my side. What in the world? And then from there, I thought, well, man, if I'm going to do that, why don't I, I, I need some residual. I, I need to plan for the future. And, you know, being a pastor of the retirement isn't, isn't the best. So I'm going to get my insurance license. I'm going to do home and property and, and casualty insurance so I can have a little bit residual in the past. So I got my homeowner, my, my insurance license. And then recently I became a loan signing agent. I got my notary. Why? Because I can add it to my portfolio. Because I can. Because I can. And then I thought when I got here, you know what? This city needs a chaplain. And so now I'm an employee with the Pleasanton Police Department as one of their chaplains. Why? Because all things are possible. But what was crazy was this, is at both intersections, what changed the game was a thought. Was a thought. Like, our thoughts are so powerful. That's why the Bible speaks so much about this. Just in case you're wondering, like, man, is this going to be a self-help talk? No, but yes. Because every good self-help book, every good principle is rooted in Scripture. They just stole it and put their name on it. Right. But, but the truth of the matter is this. is The wisest person to ever walk on the face of the planet said, man, how you think is really important. His name was Solomon. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes. He says it this way. He says, sensible thoughts lead you to do right, but foolish thoughts lead you to do wrong. Well, duh, right? <laughs> in other words, if you're taking notes, jot this down. That as our thoughts go, so do we. And isn't that, it's common sense. Like we, we know this stuff, but we don't think about it often. What we end up doing is we complain about our situations. We, we, we find ourselves in frustrating moments. We, we, we find ourselves wrestling through situations. But a lot of times, listen, we're so focused on what's happening, we never take to the time to contemplate how we're thinking about what's happening. Like, we never, you know, take the time or have the space to challenge the thoughts that have plagued us. One of the things when my buddy said that, I never challenged it. I just accepted it. Like, like that was it. And, and I, I don't know about you, but, but as our thoughts go, so do we. And I think a lot of times what ends up happening is, is, is we don't understand how much our thoughts are affecting us. Because we never take time to think about. What we're thinking about. And it's huge. Solomon was like, lean into this. Solomon said in Proverbs, he says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Like thinking plays a huge role in how we're living. And in fact, it plays a huge role, and if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. It takes a, a, a huge role in the way that we feel because how we think affects how we feel. See, a lot of times we blame. People, things, and situations for the way that we feel. And I know, listen, some of the stuff that we're facing and going through, and I'm not trying to make light of anybody's stuff. It's hard, it's painful, it's difficult. But can I just tell you that a lot of times we we blame people for the way we feel. We blame, you know, our boss. We blame the teacher. We blame our spouse. We we blame the trial that we're going through. We blame the economy. You know, it's just, man. If 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 all of this was fixed, I wouldn't feel this way. But but in in reality, many times it's not even these situations, it's our response to these situations that affects the way that we feel. Because there are so many other people on the planet and in the world that are going through the same thing, same life, same world, same difficulties, same challenges, but they choose to think different thoughts. That's why you can have somebody going through the same exact thing, one person. Is, is solid still with joy and one person is not. And a big portion of that comes from the way that we're thinking. In other words, if you're taking notes, you're going to take a lot of notes today, you can jot this down. It's not what's happening to you many times, it's how you think about what's happening to you that determines our response. And, and so, so my question is this today is that, you know, as, as we think about our thinking, we need to make sure that we have a God filter that funnels and flows and filters everything that's coming in and through our mind. Like some of us right now, we need a detox because we have so many other filters except God. Fear is a filter. Pain is a filter. Anxiety is a filter, right? All these different filters, a distraction. Like, like what if we just detox for a day? What if we detox for just, just even a week? Like we shut off the news, like We put, left our phones and refused to go on social media. What if you just did that for a week? What if you put your phone down for an evening? Like last night, we had a birthday dinner for, uh, for Michelle, uh, and it was, it was so, my, my whole family was there. And, and I, we left the house, and I left my phone. And I, instantly, I felt the, ugh. I was like, no, it's okay. It's okay you left your phone. See, back in the day, the cool thing was, if something was wrong or if something was urgent, even if it was, you wouldn't know. Because nobody could get a hold of you. So you wouldn't even have to worry about it until you actually got back to the house, picked up the phone call, and actually dealt with whatever was going on, right? But now we can see it, and then we can't deal with it. And so we're dealing with it, even though we can't deal with it, and we're not present with everybody we're supposed to be present with. And so but what, if, what if we just shut off the games for a minute? What if we shut off the music for a minute? And just, just devoted that week, or even that day, to worship, to prayer, to Scripture, See, I, I, I'm not saying this because I, this is like a sacrifice that I want you to offer to the Lord. No, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging you to do this as a test. Because, listen, I'm telling you if you, if, if you, if you take me up on this, you'll be able to test what Paul says in Romans. Look what Paul says in Romans. He says this. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Everybody say mindset. Mindset. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Now, now this mindset on the flesh, what does the flesh mean? The flesh means our, our sinful nature. Our sinful nature. And a lot of times we think that a mindset on the flesh, like, what does that even look like? Like, I'm just thinking about, you know, cheating, stealing, hurting people, and lusting all day. It could be. But it could also be that you're just constantly in a state of unbelief toward God. That is a sinful mindset. That is a fleshly mindset. In fact, that's what kept the Israelites in the desert um, and, and, and hindered them from entering into the promised land. Many of you guys remember the story as Moses sent out the 12 spies to investigate the promised land that God had promised to give them. What happened? Two of them said, we can take this land. They were thinking through the lens of the Spirit, right, on what the Spirit desires. God said, the land belongs to you. Take it. But the other 10 were looking through the eyes of the flesh. And they said, no, 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 no. There's giants in that land. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. They even think that about us. It's like, how do you know? You need to talk to them. It was an assumption based on deception. And it plagued the whole community with unbelief. And instead of entering to entering the land, they wandered in the wilderness, which many of them died. Until the generation had died, they were able to enter into the land. Why? Because of a thought. Because of the way that they were thinking. They had their mind set on the flesh, not their mind set on the spirit. Your mindset matters. And I'm telling you, if you just detox from some of these things that plague us every single day, that consume so much of our, of our thoughts, of our, of our time, of our space, and you just set the dial to say, man, I'm going to worship, I'm going to pray, I'm going I'm to open up the scriptures, and I'm just going to use the, that time that I would normally do those things. I'm going to use the time that I would spend watching the news in the Word. I'm going to use the time that I would spend, you know, maybe listening to, to certain music. I'm going to spend worshiping. And in the time that I really don't know what to do because I'm not playing with my phone or I'm not distracted by this or that, man, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. I promise you this. You will start to discover this reality. Look what Paul continues to say. He says, for the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. What you will discover, it will be a test. You'll discover that you're going to find a lot more life and peace as your mind is set on things of the spirit. It's a test. Don't take my word for it. Like, go and like, try it. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that if you detox, like, all your issues are going to be gone and, and all your mindsets are going to be revitalized. But I'm saying you're, you're, you're going you're to taste that maybe I'm not as stressed as I was last week. Maybe, maybe I'm a little bit more focused. Yeah. Maybe my heart's a little bit more sensitive to God yeah. and what he has to say to me, right? Because the truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, is our mindset makes a big difference, Where our mind is set, it makes a huge difference. And when it's set on the spirit, there's going to be life and there's going to be peace. But a mind governed by the flesh is where the enemy loves to come in and partner with you. And set up what we would call a stronghold. You know, what's interesting, we talked a couple of weeks ago about neuropathways. The science has discovered that the more that we think a thought, the easier it is to continue to think that thought. And it creates neural pathways, new pathways in our brain, new patterns of thinking. And so just, just think about that for a minute. That the more we think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought, and that thought continues to repeat and replay, setting a pattern, a neural pathway in our thinking. And I, can I just tell you that scripturally, the Bible would speak about this as a stronghold, a stronghold in our, in, our, in our mind, in the way that we're thinking. This is where the enemy loves to partner up with you, loves to encourage you down that road, down that path. Let me show you what a stronghold is. From a biblical definition, it's a prisoner locked by deception. So the people of Israel said, there's giants in the land. They're so big. We look like grasshoppers, and they think the same. That was deception. They don't know what they were thinking. They never talked to them. But here they were, a prisoner locked by deception. They lived their life by something that is not true. A false argument in which a person seeks shelter or, safe, or a safe place to escape reality. It's a stronghold, a stronghold. Living our lives and our thinking based on deception. Like we think these things are right, and God's like, no. Or we know that they're wrong, but we don't know how to break free. Because they're patterns, they're a stronghold. What is a stronghold? Something that has a stronghold on you. And so, so I want to I show you how this works. And if you've been to any of our freedom events, you're going to see this, but it's important that we revisit this from time to time because we're all battling and fighting for our minds and our hearts. The Bible says to guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. So let me show you how this works. So what ends up happening is this. Normally, and we're all going to face events in our life, events that create wounds. Like, for, for example... Maybe it's a betrayal of a spouse. Maybe it's, it's, uh, it's, it's you were betrayed. Maybe, uh, maybe you've been disappointed deeply by somebody. Maybe things didn't turn out the way that you expected. But let's take, let's take an easy one just for the sake of conversation. Let's just say you weren't invited to a party all of your best friends. You saw it on social media. You're like, thanks for the invite. Yeah. Right? And you're trying so hard in that moment like, I'm okay. I'm all right. No, I'm not. And then you just then you just stalk them, right? You're just looking at. You want to see everything that happened. Who was there? Social media is crazy. And so, so let's just say that happens. And that's an event. That's a wound. Like you were hurt. Now, see if you're if you have your mindset on things of the spirit, you're going to interpret that event a lot differently than if you have your mindset on the flesh. Because your mindset will affect the process on how we interpret that event. So, for example, let me slide over here. Um, Let's just say our mind is set on the flesh, right? We're just just feeling it. We're angry. We're hurt. We're bitter. we're, We're already at a level 10. And what ends up happening is the enemy loves those moments. He loves to say, can I partner with you? Let me help you translate this event. You know, uh, he loves those opportunities. He loves, loves to slide into those moments. But whether it's the enemy, it could, be, it could be your pride. It could be some of those strongholds in your thinking. It could be anger. It could be fear. It could be insecurity that wants to help you interpret the event. So basically, if we're not being led by the Spirit, if we don't have our minds set on the Spirit, in the flesh, all those things are options. Fear, pride, anger, anger. Right? We can filter through all those filters. And what it's going to do, what it's going to look like is this. I didn't get invited to the party. The enemy says, let, let me help you interpret that event. Anytime we try to process a wound outside of Christ, what ends up happening is we're more prone to lies and deception. See, again, the, the, the Israelites were processing an event. They saw giants, but they were processing it outside of God. And what happened? They bought into deception. Deception. And so, so we, many times we, we buy into an, a lie, and a lie may look like this. My, uh, it, it may look like this. I'm not valuable. That may be the lie. If I was valuable, they would have invited me. I'm not valuable to them. And so from that lie, we start to digress really quickly. And we start to make judgments towards ourself, towards God, towards others. It may look like this. It, it, it may look like towards God. God! You never protect me. You never give me a break. You always leave me out. Towards yourself, it could look, a judgment could look like this. If I just would have been a little bit more funnier, if I would have just tried a little bit harder, maybe they would have liked me, and, and maybe you're, you're casting a judgment towards the people or towards somebody. Well, if my mom didn't do this, I wouldn't be like that. And maybe they would let me in. And this is really crazy because judgments are so serious. Because as a judgment, what you do is you set yourself in the position of God and declare a verdict. That's a, that's a scary place to be. I mean, imagine declaring a verdict over your life, over, God's li- over God, and over people. You put yourself in position as God. And the Bible speaks very clearly that the measure you judge, you're going to reap. Like, if you, sow in ju- if, if you sow those seeds, it's, it's, there's a harvest in judgment. That's why you know that sometimes anybody ever feel like, man, I just could not stand when my mom or my dad did this. Right. And you just judged them your whole life. And now you're a mom and a dad. And you had that moment where you're like, I look just like my mom. I'm sounding just like my dad. A lot of times, listen, a lot of times that's because we have sown seeds of judgments towards others that we are now reaping the harvest from. It's dangerous. But but we're wounded. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to live. We're trying to survive. And so from judgments, it normally trans- transitions into a defense. i got to defend myself somehow. i got to protect. This is where people medicate. They can be passive aggressive. They can um, just all different types of things to try to to live, to try to. Medicate, you know, because God's not going to protect me. So I got to protect myself. I need to find a defense so that I can actually survive. I got to figure out a way to self-sustain. And so a lot of times what ends up happening is through that defense, we make what, what we call an inner vow. And an inner vow says something like this. I will always let people know that I am important. In every circle that I am in, I will make sure that I am the center of attention. Or I will never be in a group of people like that again in my life. And then what happens? We, we, we have that defense mechanism. We make some inner vows, and then we have reaction. We find ourselves in a moment, people are reacting to our defense because maybe we lash out in anger at, at, at a particular time, or we, or, or we distance ourselves, and people are like, hey, what, what's going on with you? It's like, see, I, I knew you thought something was wrong with me, and it just kind of reinforces the wound. And the cycle continues. It perpetually continues. And this is the sad part. Sad part is maybe you get over that. I'm done. It's It's been several years. But you still find yourself in moments where you're in circles of people and it's just, it's hard for you to engage. Because even though that moment is gone, you're still tied to the event. You're still tied to the wound because of that vow. And the cycle continues to go over and over and over. See, the enemy loves to play in this field of the stronghold. It becomes a stronghold in our life. This is, this is what happens. It becomes a pattern of the way that we live. See, the enemy loves just to give, to, to, He loves just to give us a picture, but not the whole picture. Like the enemy is okay with a little bit of the picture, but just not the whole picture. I think Leonard Sweet gives a great example of this in his Jesus Manifesto. Let me show you a picture of Michelangelo's painting on um, the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Now, Michelangelo is an incredible painter. For the majority of us, we have seen this at some level somewhere. And this is a picture and a painting of Adam and God. And there's a chasm in between right here. There's this gap. But what's interesting about this painting is many, many times if you go to a store, you're not going to purchase the whole painting. You purchase this portion. But if you're not careful, as you look at this portion, it can be a little deceptive. Because it really looks like Adam is reaching out to God, and like God is leaning back a little bit. Like you just can't quite fill that gap. Like God, you're, you're just still a little bit far away. I can't quite seem to connect to you. And it can paint a distorted picture of how God sees us or our interaction with God. But then when you see the, the big picture, let me, let me show you the big picture. You see it's the exact opposite. You see it's God pushing through the wind. Like you can see the wind blowing. God just reaching out, and Adam is a little bit more lackadaisical. He's not too excited about this connection. He's not sure about it. He's, he's kind of lazy towards it. It's just kind of like, uh, just uh, I don't know, God, like, and so, so, so we, see, we see this picture, and it's a, it's a picture of the garden. It's a picture of the moment where sin enters humanity, fractures it. Sin creates a gap between us and God. And for the most part, that's what the painting consists of. That's what people know it to be. But if you look a little bit closer in the painting, not only is God stretching out and reaching toward, but he has his arm around some folks, but his arm here, it's mangled and withered and twisted. As he touches one of the children, almost as it to to say what happened between the first Adam as a result of sin and there being a great chasm and disconnect from God, God in his desire to know us, to be with us, no matter how uncomfortable, no matter how twisted, no matter how maimed he would be, he would do whatever he could through the person and work of Jesus to touch, to touch us. Right. I mean, I, I, let, let, me, let me give you another picture. If, if you look close enough, a, a, a professor from Princeton was the first one to see this. If you notice, God is in the right side of a brain. He's in the right side of the brain where you imagine and where you dream, as if to say God's heart, God's dream. God in his imagination so desires to be with us, so desires to connect with us. That no matter what the cost, no matter what it takes, God is reaching. But you would never get that from just two hands. There's a bigger picture at stake. The enemy loves to give us distorted pictures, half ways, so that we can't see the bigger picture. Because he knows this, that if if you process with God, the game changes a little bit. Let me show you. If you process the event with the Holy Spirit, the game changes, right? So the same event happened, the same wound happened, and, and, and you're feeling left out, you're feeling alone, you're feeling like you're not valuable. But instead of processing it with the enemy through pride, fear, doubt, insecurity, all of a sudden, you're now processing it with the Holy Spirit. And so, so what do you do? You start, to, you start to ask some questions. Hey, Lord, this is how I'm feeling. God, this is, I don't feel like I'm valuable. Lord, what lie am I believing here? Right, as I look at your word, you say that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You said that you knitted my most inner parts of my being. Like, like you don't make mistakes, God. You are the God of all creation. You knew me in my mother's womb before the foundations of the world, God. You knitted me. You formed me. So, Lord, help me to believe. Show me the dysfunction. Show me the lie that the enemy is trying to plant. And then what happens? God begins to reveal truth to us via his word Um, as our time as we spend with God. Trust me, if you talk to God in prayer, God wants to speak to you, and he knows how to. If if we'll stop and slow down to listen a little bit, if we'll take time to develop an ear for his voice through his word, and all of a sudden things shift, we start to believe truth, and then instead of judgments, all of a sudden there's understanding, wisdom, and perspective. And so Jesus on the cross could easily say, as they're spitting on him and mocking him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Why? Because there was understanding, there was wisdom, there was perspective. Jesus, as a, as a lamb before his shears, he did not open his mouth. He was silent. Even though he had the right to judge everybody, he did not need to prove himself. Why? Because he entrusted himself to the defender. He entrusted himself to the Father. God, Father, you, I trust you. Into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit. And see, as you process with the Holy Spirit, you no longer need to defend yourself because Christ is your defender. You no longer have to put up all these barricades and Medicaids and all these different things. Why? Because, because God, you're my defender. And then what, what ends up happening is, it, is it, it cancels out any inner vows because there's safety, there's security, there's peace, there's forgiveness. There's understanding. And then instead of, you know, being able to, instead of reaction, we have the ability to respond. And then people see that like, oh, man. I see how you're responding to this. I see that, that there's a shift in your heart. I see that, wow, you handled that with so much grace and so much. And what happens is the cycle breaks because nothing has a hold on you anymore. And the, the, the event or the wound is no longer tied. It's something that happened, but it's no longer tied to you. Are you guys with me on that? It's the breaking of strongholds. See, Satan loves to give us a, a distorted image. This is why Paul says so clearly, so clearly this. In 2 Corinthians, he says it like this. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God. Everybody say through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. I think this is so powerful because I think many of us get frustrated when it comes to bad thinking. is because we try to start with the practical before we get to the root. We try to start with the practical rather than the root of the problem. And so that's why you go into Barnes and Nobles and the self-help section is huge. They're coming out with a new book every week. Why is this so big? It's because people are just constantly searching, They're trying to deal with the practical, not realizing that sometimes the root issue of our bad thinking is spiritual. And the only way that we can dismantle it is through God to the pulling down of these strongholds in our life. Through God. Right? Because when you look at it, when you look at bad thinking, let's just take unbelief for example. The issue is you just don't need to try to believe. The issue is that you have a problem with trusting in God. And really, it's an idolatry issue. You are looking to something and someone to give you what only God can. And it doesn't matter like where you're at or what state you're in. When there's a stronghold of bad thinking, it's normally always rooted in idolatry. And and what? It requires repentance. It requires an acknowledgement, a repentance, where I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn from the bad and I'm gonna overwhelm it by pursuing Christ. I'm gonna repent and turn from this way. Repent, it's, the word is metanoia. It just means an about face. So I was headed in this direction, now I'm pursuing. I'm gonna overwhelm this evil with good in my pursuit of Christ. It's a, it's a spiritual problem. Then the practical stuff kind of kind of plays out. And so Paul says, he continues and he says this. He says, so we gotta cast down Imaginations, every false image, even if it's not the big picture that the enemy has distorted of God in our minds and in our hearts or whatever image that is distorted that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of God. We need to bring it into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, no longer living as captive to our thoughts, but taking our thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Got to deal with the root first. Got to deal with the root. If we're taking note, let me just give you a couple takeaways as we as we, we wrap up. The first thing that we got to do if we're going to break bad thinking is number one is we got to deal with our broken thoughts. We just got to first deal with it. A lot of times we don't want to. We don't. We like. We know we're thinking bad, but to go into it feels too painful. And so we just rather stay in our brokenness, comfortable in our brokenness, because even though it's broken, we still know how to function like this because we've been functioning like this for so long. And so the first step is you just got to deal with it. And it's painful, but that's the only way that you're going to be able to identify the idols and repent, is you got to first say, I'm going to deal with it. Second thing is this. Second thing is this, is you got to find a plan to filter my thoughts. I got to find a plan to filter my thoughts. And I think a great way to do that is to find a plan where you can allow the Bible to challenge your thinking. See, see a lot of times people think that a, a Bible reading plan is not a good thing. It's more religious. It's kind of, I just don't do good with plans. Well, yeah, I get it. I didn't either until I realized that it gave me a plan. <laughs> and one of the things about reading through the Bible in a year, a lot of it, our staff does it, our team does it. One of the things about reading through the Bible in a year is you're going to find yourself reading things you would not normally gravitate toward on your own. And you just uncover stuff in Scripture. I was reading this last week in Isaiah 53. I've read that passage dozens, thousands, hundreds of times. And I saw this part where it says that Jesus poured out his life unto death. And as a result, what happened? God gave him the highest position. And so I just decided I'm going to study this a little bit because that word poured out, a lot of times we think what it means is Jesus just gave it his all. It's not what it means. And the Hebrew, poured out, it means exposed, naked. He exposed himself unto death. And I felt like the Lord said, man, and we're going to hit on this in just a moment, but when it comes to, to exposing our weakness, when it comes to dealing with our thoughts, yes, there is a death that happens, but there's also an inheritance that's given. It's painful to be exposed, but that was the only way that life was going to come, and he exalted him to be at the right hand of the Father to the highest position, and so listen, we we need God's word. Some of us, we just live in the echo chamber. Everything that we pursue, Google has wired your life to only bring to your platform the things that you search, the things that you think. And so it's like little by little, we're slowly becoming surrounded by this echo chamber of just what we, you know, just our normal patterns and rhythms, the things that we're constantly pursuing, the thoughts that we're always thinking. And I just want to encourage you, what God's word will do is get you out of the echo chamber and begin to challenge your thinking, begin to challenge your thoughts. I'm telling you, if your thoughts don't change, neither will your life. Second thing is this. Our third thing is we need to make time to reflect on my thoughts daily. I, I think this is a lost art. Even big business people and successful people will tell you one of the lost arts of the day, one of the things that separates successful people from unsuccessful people is the ability to take time to reflect. Like who, who reflects? You know, Henry Ford, when he made the first car, well, there was a company that, that was killing the game. They were like the general motors of horse whips. Horse and buggies, right? Everybody needed a horsewhip back in the day. And so Henry Ford comes on the scene and he makes the first car. And so instead of this, this horsewhip company saying, hey, let's step back and reflect. Things are changing. Things are shifting dramatically. Maybe we need to reconsider our plan. Maybe we need to reconsider how we're thinking about horsewhips. They just said, no, we just gotta drive it harder. Just make more, just drive it harder. And guess what? Henry Ford ended up dominating and they went out of business. They probably could have scaled back and still survived. But they chose not to reflect, just to drive forward. And how many times, listen, what if every day you took 10 minutes at the end of your day and you just said, I'm just going to think how I was thinking. Let me just examine how I was thinking today. Like, was was my mind set on the flesh today? Or was it set on the spirit? What was taking me captive today? Was it the things of God or was it the things of the flesh? Well, if it's the things of the flesh, then I need to read. I need a, re- a new game plan for tomorrow. So many times we go months, days, months, years, never reflecting, still stuck in the same patterns. See, when you reflect, it's a great opportunity to invite Jesus into that space and say, "God, I'm not thinking right. God, would you shift and change my thinking?" It's huge. I think everybody should have a daily time of reflection, a weekly time. How was your week? Reflect on the quarter. How was the quarter? How was my year? Was it dominated by the flesh or was I led by the Spirit? Was I led by the Spirit? Last thing is this. Actually, two two more thoughts, two more thoughts, real quick. We need to find people to stretch our thoughts vulnerability. I just talked about vulnerability. We need to find people to stretch our thoughts. You know what I'm so grateful for is I have pastors in my life and friends in my life that can say you're thinking wrong. You're not thinking right. And I can go to them and say, hey, how am I thinking about this? Am I processing this properly? Is this coming from a wounded place or a healthy place? I get to ask my counselor once a month, like, hey, how am I thinking about this stuff? And she's able to clearly say, hey, you're not thinking right. Or, yeah, you, you are. That's, that you, that's how you want to think. Or, you know, just people in my life that can challenge my thinking. We need that. That's why for small groups for us, it's like when you're around people that want to see God's best in your life, it will challenge your thinking. Because as they hear things come out of your mouth, they'll be like, no, no, no. That, that's not healthy. That's not God's best for you. Well, what do you mean? Like, this is just always how I've been. No, 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 not, that's not what God has for you. Keep doing that, you're gonna hurt people. You, right, we need people to, to stretch our thoughts. I, I think there's, there's another aspect to this though too is, is, is we need people to stretch our thoughts by getting our thoughts off of ourselves and onto other people. For the Bible speaks clearly not just to look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. It's just allowing people to, to, to challenge us, but that takes Vulnerability. Ladies and gentlemen, we don't like to be vulnerable. I think so many of us are stuck in strongholds because we just, we just can't imagine being vulnerable with people. I'm just saying, man, I'm, I'm struggling. I don't know if I'm thinking right. Will you help me? Will you sharpen me? Listen, if you're the smartest person in the room all the time, find a different room. you got to have, listen, you got to have people around you that aren't impressed with you. You gotta have people around you that they could care less. Whatever position or title you hold, that they could speak truth into your life. But but can I tell you, that has to be welcomed. Like you have to want that. People aren't just gonna do that. You have to invite vulnerability. And then lastly is this. I need to find my purpose to focus my thoughts. Accountability. You know, one of the things that you may not think, and this is an aspect of accountability, it's not the only aspect, but one of the greatest things in my life is being a pastor. Do you know how much that, that is, It's held me accountable? That when I want to make a decision, I have to think, hold on, that might affect my purpose. That might affect my calling. Like, God, you've called me for such a time as this. And so, so it's, it's, it's funny, when you're focused on a purpose, when you're living out your calling, when you're doing what God has called you to do, it's a lot less easier to get distracted by things that don't matter. Because I just know certain things, just they're not for sale for me. If I do, I could forfeit everything. Everything, my reputation, my job, the, the people that I'm pastor. I mean, listen, and, and I'm not perfect by any means, and I make mistakes, but I try to be as vulnerable as I can from this platform so that you know that I'm not on some pedestal above you, that I'm in the fight with you. But can I just tell you, that this, your purpose, listen, if you don't know, 83% of the church statistics say, 83% of the church has no idea what their purpose is. It's like, it's like having 80% of your body don't know what they're called to do. Like, that's why we do growth track. We don't do growth track just because we, you know, have this cool little system we want you to work through. No, we want to just help and aid you just a little bit in discovering what might be a next step for you so that it would manifest out of these walls and you could be everything and fulfill everything that God has called you to. It just focuses you a little bit better. It just does. I've seen tons of my friends, man, a moment like they're outside of ministry. It's not that they don't love God. It's just they don't have that accountability anymore. So all of a sudden, things become a lot more optional. We've got to get our eyes fixed and understand what God has called us to do. For God has created you for good works before the foundation of the world. He's created you with purpose, purpose. But here's the key, here's the key, and I'm done. Take a note, jot this down. Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, here's the key. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. This is the key phrase, but let God, but let God. But let God transform you by changing the way that you think. Then you will learn to know what God's will is for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. What, what, am, what am I saying here? I'm saying God's not going to force you. You got to let him. You got to let him transform you. If you don't listen, God's not going to kick in the door. say, so I'm changing your thinking. I mean, he can is saying God I invite you I want to process this with you I want to invite you into these events and I want to I'm going to let you full permission full access to every every door every crevice I'm going to let you transform me by changing the way that I think I invite you